0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome to The Ron Show on America
1: One
2: Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: And a happy Thursday to you. If you are about mugshots, it's a really happy day, right? You got a bevy of them yesterday. You've got a prominent one coming later. We just found out that Donald Trump, originally I thought, one o'clock and now he's aiming at 730, which is only something of a nightmare because there's also an NFL preseason game. Although the Falcons don't normally draw big crowds to NFL preseason games. The difference tonight is that they're taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers and Steeler fans travel well. So there may be a larger than usual preseason crowd. Anyway, there's going to be about, I'd say 25 35,000 people coming to downtown Atlanta. While also the other half of downtown Atlanta is going to be an absolute media circus because Donald Trump is coming into town to get his mugshot made and to post his bond. Literally going to be checking into the Fulton County Jail on Rice Street, the red carpet on Rice Street. One last walkthrough before they roll that up. We'll also do some post-primary debate coverage discussion with Andrew Lawrence, Deputy Director of Rapid Response at Media Matters for America. going to talk a little bit more about how Fox News handled the first primary debate, and the spin afterwards, and all that sort of stuff. But first things first, we have to talk, again, education in Cobb County. And Becky Gaunt, she goes by Rebecca Gaunt, according to the Cobb County Courier, when I uh, see who uh, wrote the article. Uh, Becky joins us to start off to talk about, well, the the libs of TikTok. Can you explain, Becky, how the lives of TikTok are now affecting policy at the Cobb County educational level?
2: Well, it started earlier this week. Uh, Monday evening, uh, parents started receiving notifications that books had been pulled from the libraries. Um, it was not clear whether it was individual schools or, or a mass message at first because there were it was coming from so many high schools and middle schools. Mm-hmm. And the books weren't named and nothing was really explained about why. It just basically said they, the district had found sexually explicit content and removed the material. They said it had been brought to their attention last week, which mm. was a bit confusing because, because it was a Monday. Um, so basically there've been, been, people have been wondering, you know, was this, was the basis of this apparent complaint? Where did it come from? Yeah. So uh, earlier today, I was, uh, it was brought to my attention by actually a, a former, well, she's still a counselor, but a former school counselor for Cobb County, Jennifer Sesco, brought my attention to a post from Libs of TikTok that uh, they had posted communication. With Cobb County School District, where sun, on Sun—no, sorry, on on Saturday, August nineteenth, they uh, reached out to the district. Uh, there were several people listed, including uh, Superintendent Chris Ragsdale, and they n- named the two books specifically that turned out to be pulled from the shelves, mm-hmm. and and asked why this pornographic material was available. And they asked the district for comment by, I believe, Monday at noon. That was on a Saturday. On Monday, those emails went out. Two days later, uh, and we now know because Libs of TikTok posted it publicly <laughs> that uh, that the chief strategy and accountability officer John Floresta responded to them that same day, Monday, August twenty first, and basically said, "Thank you for bringing this to our attention. We removed the books over the weekend."
1: So, Libs of TikTok, who. We don't have names or or personalities that are assigned to them. We don't know that they are in Cobb County or a Cobb County parent or anything like that. Just Libs of TikTok, as, as a social media entity, reached out to the Cobb County School District to point out two books that they thought should be banned. And within two days, the books were banned. Is that how I'm seeing this?
2: That's correct. Now, the, the emails themselves are signed by a David. Who David is, we, we aren't sure. It's, there's nothing more specific than David. Huh. Um, but in the Libs of TikTok website, and then they tweeted it on their, uh, so I guess it's X now, <laughs> put it on their X account. Uh, also, you to draw attention to it mm-hmm. and posted this communication and taking credit for it saying, so whoever David is, is associated with Libs of TikTok. According to this, this post, I had reached out to the district for comment just, just to confirm because it's a screenshot. Sure. Um, it did not get a response, which as since, since they have not been happy with some of our, our critical reporting on them, they stopped communicating with us uh, during the pandemic. So I didn't really expect one. I have, however, since seen um, a parent get a response uh, who also reached out directly to uh, uh, John Floresta and he does not. Say whether he did or did not write that email, but he just basically kind of gives the same comment that when we become aware of this content, we we remove it. It has no place in our district. Something along those lines. I'm I'm paraphrasing way off. So,
1: but correct me if I'm wrong. That's not the process for removing book titles in the school district. Am I right? To just have some I, outside entity or person chime in,
2: and 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 that's been the big question since this started because. Not only, even before Libs of Talk, TikTok posted this, um, the, the that was the question because nobody knew what books they were. It was it's so early in the school year. Um, and, and the district wasn't, I mean, initially the district didn't even give up the names of the books and they have still not addressed, they have not addressed at all where the complaint came from. Uh-huh. Now, according to uh, their uh Policy, which was passed um, in the wake of you know, George, the Georgia laws that were passed last year, like right. Senate Bill 226, um, the policy explicitly requires the person who lodges a complaint to be a parent or guardian. Mm-hmm. They have to put it in writing to the principal. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, there's a timeline that's laid out, um, has to be reviewed within seven business days, that some sort of decision must be arrived at within 10 days unless they agree to something else. And then there's also a process for appeal. So it's, so while a lot of people are arguing right now about the books themselves, first we need to figure out what the process was for how this book was removed. Because if it's supposed to be a local matter at the school level, how is a social media account getting this much response from a district? Right.
1: And, and they're not the only ones. I mean, Moms for Liberty obviously has been you know pretty busy uh, at this process as well. It's just interesting that again uh, a complaint was apparently lodged on a Saturday, and by Monday morning books are being pulled before anybody really even gets to clock in or the first school bell rings. It's just bizarre, right? Uh.
2: So you know, it clearly doesn't match the timeline of the policy, and and now we've now that we have the email response from uh, Mr. Floresta, we see how quickly they moved, and it's 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 so it's a bit strange. It's trying to we know what on what basis, how was the decision made? You know, it's it's easy to look at a book and and make your own personal decision and say, okay, this is not appropriate. It shouldn't be here. But the district laid out a process for making the decisions. They're supposed to be uh, a committee to, to look it over. Oh. And, and this, apparently, they just saw this email and immediately pulled it.
1: Wow. We're with Becky Gaunt from the Cobb County Courier who broke this story that the libs of TikTok apparently are the... People or entity, somebody named David with libs of TikTok, made sure that two book titles were pulled from Cobb County's schools. When the school's procedure for doing so actually calls on a parent or guardian to bring a book title to their attention and then a process be laid out. Very interesting. And you were telling you were just telling me a few minutes ago that the school district doesn't even respond to you guys for for questions.
2: Uh, they they don't. There was at some point, I don't recall exactly when, but we have uh, run some coverage in the past they have not <laughs> been very happy about. Oh, my um, gosh. And uh, at some point, they got annoyed with us, and and, and and we started getting responses that we we don't communicate with the courier. Um, they basically accuse... They- the reason they say is lack of accuracy, but I have to say they have never asked for a retraction or a correction on anything that we have published.
1: So they rebuff local journalism because they don't like what local journalism covers is what I'm hearing. I, that, that, these are wor- my words, not yours. I'm just uh, trying to make sure that I get the full scope of the story here. Wow. That's incredible stuff. And great work on your part, by the way. And, and who, no. who you said you had, you had somebody tip you off to this in the first place.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was, and that was a uh, Jennifer Susco. And she has been very, very active um, uh, with regard to the board. She resigned. Pretty loudly a couple years ago um, in, in protest when they passed the policy again that banned um, CRT and the 1619 project. Oh, yeah. So she saw the post and tagged me on it to get my attention. And uh, yeah, that's how I that's how I was able to catch it so early.
1: These uh, another warning flare that if, if the Cobb County Democratic Party, if you're listening, if you're paying attention, y'all need to rally your candidates. You need one seat flip to change the entire narrative in a county that is. Predominantly blue now. I mean, Hillary won it in 2016, Stacey in 2018, Joe in 2020, Stacey again in 2022. It's a blue county. It's time to start looking like it. Um, Anyway, Becky Gaunt, uh, thanks for letting me go on that rant. And also, thanks for covering Mm -hmm. this story for us. We'll put this in the show notes uh, from the Cobb County Courier at ronshowatl.com. Great work.
2: All right. Thank you so much.
1: Another hot local story that has absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump is, of course, the Cop City Saga. The Stop Cop City folks, the Cop City Vote folks out there collecting more than 104,000 signatures and trying to determine if they want to turn those petitions in because the city's sort of insinuating they're going to use signature match, but not, not the signature match that they are against, just another kind in an odd little presser that they held yesterday to select folks within the media, uh, very little of which has gotten out. Anyway, Dr. Bernice King, CEO of the King Center here in Atlanta, released a statement that, uh, when did this come out? Oh, this morning, around uh, 1125. I will read this to you from her Twitter account. The city of Atlanta, presently a gathering place for organizers and activists, and historically a bedrock of the civil rights movement, should be the epicenter for consistent, compassionate work for human and civil rights, inclusive of the right to vote free from suppression. What, if not voter suppression, could it be called when the atlanta city council announces plans to use signature matching for the referendum petition to then deny the use of public funding in constructing the atlanta public safety training center in parentheses the stop cop city referendum petition she asks this is deliberately erecting a barrier to what my father called quote the foundation stone for political action this is a tactic to turn voters away which the courageous marchers who crossed Selma's Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1965, were committed to preventing. This is a deterrence to democracy, which those truly committed to decency and dignity today must oppose. I oppose signature matching and implore the council to forego the unjust plans to use signature matching in determining the outcome of this critical matter. The people should decide. Again, that a statement from Bernice King, CEO at the King Center, daughter of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. By the way, it's worth pointing out, as uh, WANF's Patrick Quinn said yesterday. Now, as this ballot referendum process wears on, so does construction at the site of the Planned Public Safety Training Center. The Atlanta Police Foundation said they are set to begin construction on the east side of this site in the next week or so. I mentioned that because uh, the Supporter Report just an hour ago released a story that uh, John Ruch had been reporting. I need to meet this guy so I can know how to say his last name. Ruch. I think it's Ruch. R-U-C-H. That basically uh, mentioned a request made yesterday by environmentalists. Part of a flurry of activity this week in three separate lawsuits attempting to halt the project dubbed Cop City by opponents as it speeds toward a full construction start as soon as this month. Back in a few on the America One Radio app, com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show. Welcome back to the Thursday Ron Show. It is Arrestmus. (laughs) The former president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, making his way into Atlanta later this evening, as you're hearing this in probably about two hours, uh, Trump Force One will be uh, landing, uh, we presume, at Atlanta-Hartsfield International Airport before his motorcade makes its way up I-85, thankfully going against the grain on commuter traffic, but still going to cause some headaches. If you are traveling in the downtown area, maybe like, I don't know, if you've got tickets for the Falcon Steelers game, I'd get to the venue a lot early today because, well, and even that's hard because that's in the the teeth of thickest assemblage, if you will, of commuters heading home on the Midtown downtown connector. what a headache. By the way, tip of the cap, let's give some credit to frequent guest of the show, Susan Greenhall, who along with Ben Clements, posted a piece at Slate.com today. Headline, One Trump-Georgia scheme goes much deeper. Where are the feds? And uh, this goes back to looking into the coffee county voter breach. You know, as much as I've had, Susan, on this show, I did not know. Did not know, by the way, that the infamous video of the break-in was kind of an accident. Like, finding it was kind of an accident. And this story goes into that. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but uh, anyway, Susan Greenhall has been with us before from uh, Free Speech for People uh, at freespeechforpeople.org, by the way. So if you haven't heard this story, let me just share it with you real quick. Um, There was apparently some shenanigans with Misty Hampton. Uh, In December of 2020, the now indicted Misty Hampton, former county election supervisor who allegedly facilitated the voting computer trespass, reading from the article, claimed in a video that went viral among election deniers that Georgia's voting machines allowed voters to be switched. As the state conducted a machine recount in December 2020, Hampton insisted that she was unable to replicate vote totals. That caused Coffey County to refuse to certify its election results, effectively holding up the state certification of the presidential election results for several days. Coffee County was then cited in a draft executive order allegedly drafted by Trump advisors to justify using the military or the Department of Homeland Security to seize voting machines. A month after the breaches, Hampton was forced to resign from her position as election supervisor, reportedly for falsifying timesheets. So in establishing accuracy of Hampton's timesheets, the county closely reviewed footage from election office security cameras in order to log the times Hampton came and went. That security camera footage documented the details of the voting system breach and its participants, yet county officials apparently failed to notice the unauthorized individuals accessing the voting devices. Following Hampton's resignation, her successor, James Barnes, reported alarming irregularities in the coffee elections office to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. The secretary's office told Barnes it would investigate, but according to Barnes, no one followed up. And that's the basis of this story. Where's the investigatory oversight at the state level? And actually, as the headline alludes, where are the feds? Which, okay, if I am Attorney General Merrick Garland... I may rebut, okay, but you know that if we go there, there's just going to be more of that, oh, this is Department of Justice, DOJ overreads, it's all political, blah, 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 blah. And and he may be right to say that, his backers may be right to say that, but they're going to say it anyway. There's always going to be that base of the GOP, what is it? 43% or so? 43, 45, 49 depending on what state you're in, looking at polls that is always going to believe that this is a witch hunt, it's all political, but at the end of the day evidence is evidence. Undeniable evidence is undeniable evidence. I, I, I don't care if if what he said back when he first ran for office, that he could shoot a man in broad daylight and his base wouldn't flee. That That may well be. But At some point in time, we have to say to ourselves, this isn't just about meeting out justice, although I think that is the most important thing. It's not about convincing the unconvincible. You have to pretend that they don't exist. They'll show up on voting day and they'll give you the numbers they're going to give you. It's never the majority because they're not the silent majority. They're never silent. They're not the majority. But at the end of the day, and this is what I say about climate change. If you do nothing now, it doesn't get better later. And we have future generations. Like, I don't have kids. I don't have kids. I'm not going to have grandkids. So why am I worried about it? I I don't know. Maybe just for posterity's sake, I'd, I'd like to think that my nephews and nieces <laughs> will have a better world to live in, a better country to live in, a more secure democracy, a functioning republic. So, yeah, where are the feds? Why? Secretary of State Brad Raffensberger already reelected, where, where are you on this? Why is there not that state investigation that was promised? Why is that not happening? Do you need to coordinate with the feds? Actually, I think that would be a great idea. Gabriel Sterling, Brad Ravensburger, you guys should work with Merrick Garland and company in a bipartisan effort to look into the Coffee County breaches. I mean, why not? Ravensburger, you've already been reelected. You're insulated. The Trump MAGA voter can't get to you. This is where I pivot to my folks on the left and say... Any of you who said, you know what, Raffensperger, uh, you know, he's pretty heroic stuff he did there. And, and perhaps, you know, we should give him a pass and reelect him. And, and the same with, with Brian. K. This is where I tell you, folks, <sighs> elections matter. And sometimes you have to understand that part of the system of checks and balances in this country isn't the three pronged federal. Sometimes it's party v. Opposition party. We are seeing this all play out. We're seeing this unroll And. There are Republicans who don't dismiss what's happening with Fonnie Willis, with Jack Smith, the documents case in Florida. There are Republicans. There are conservatives. And there are, of course, independents, a majority of independents who don't see this as a witch hunt, as politically motivated. They see this as justice, a system of justice, the bedrock of this nation's greatness playing out. And so, I say to you, liberal voter who said, eh, Raffensperger, eh, he didn't do a bad job. I'm just going to go with him instead because it's the safe pick. Okay, but he's asleep at the switch on this. And maybe a bit timid because of the partisan nature of this very case. Which is why you have to sometimes say to yourself, as a liberal, as a Democrat, you just have to stay firm with your convictions. Because while he may have earned your trust after the 2020 election, there were still a whole host of other issues that he and his opponent were running on that you vehemently disagree with Raffensperger on. Okay. That article from Slate with Ben Clements and Susan Greenhall collaborating on that. We'll have that in today's show notes at ronchoatl.com. When we come back. Andrew Lawrence, Deputy Director of Rapid Response for Media Matters for America, on to talk about the GOP debate, how Fox News and their moderators handled that circus, and the post-debate spin as well, here on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Follow The Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. And while Everybody's trying to pick winners and losers in the horse race that missed the biggest horse out of the stable, we decided let's let's nitpick Fox News a little bit and how they handled uh, the first debate in the primary season. I've got Andrew Lawrence, Deputy Director of Rapid Response from Media Matters for America joining me. Andrew, how are you?
0: I'm doing great, Ron. How are you?
1: I'm good. So good. from the jump, uh, Martha McCallum, and Brett Baer started last night's debate by lobbying a country song at the Dais. <laughs> <laughs> Who predicted that? Did you have that on your bingo card?
0: You know, it's funny because over at Media Matters, we were joking beforehand about how they were going to make that stupid country music song a central plank of, of this debate tonight, and lo and behold, it was not a joke. I mean, they almost it was almost one of the first things they asked, um, which, you know, it just goes to show you that that bubble that they live in um, and how weird it is. I mean, nobody outside, outside of that bubble has any idea what they're talking about, mm. but... You know, very interesting.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I've covered that song at great length here for the last couple of weeks. I'm an old radio guy, an old music radio guy. So uh, when something like this kind of trends, it's something that you have to pay attention to. Whether Mm -hmm. you think of it as a country song, or I was from pop, the pop side of radio, a a, a hit is a hit. And so we would have to pay attention to that sort of stuff and occasionally have to play a country song. I've been cautioning the left against ignoring this song because the singer, the writer, says himself... I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm down the middle. And while he punches down about welfare and you know fat people on public assistance, he is speaking towards uh, an economic angst that I think a lot of people feel. And we had this very similar populist mindset in 2016 that the uh, incumbent party at the time, Obama going into Hillary, sort of – tried to play above the fray and say, oh, everything's yeah. great, the economy. And I think that's something that Democrats need to pay attention to. But I digress. Let's get back to talking about Brett and Martha and how uh, Fox News handled uh, post-debate coverage as well. They didn't mention Donald Trump for about the first half or so of the debate. Is that how did you did you keep a clock on that? Uh, not keeping a clock, but, it,
0: you know, I think there was maybe 40 minutes left. You know, they're about an hour 20 in when when they finally
1: brought him up. And they did the uh, show of hands thing. Oh
0: uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Did,
1: did you catch the Chris Christie waffly wave? It was kind of like mm-hmm. a, I'm putting my hand sort of up cause everybody else did, but I'm saying no at the same time. You can't do that. Yeah,
0: yeah no, that was, that was interesting. And, you know what I found so fascinating it wasn't just during the debate, um, but even before the debate, Fox News with their their coverage leading up to it, trying to hype it up and all that stuff, they were really capitulating to Donald Trump. I mean, you had you had Jesse Waters an hour before the debate uh, on Fox News saying, "Hey, none of these people have any like real realistic chance at being the nominee." Um, he he was instructing the the candidates to respect Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, this is a debate and he's the front runner like, no, you should not you shouldn't respect him. You have to go after him. Um, and then even earlier, uh, you know, Sean Hannity anchored their post debate coverage and he completely banned Chris Christie from being a part of that coverage. So they, they made a lot wow. of concessions to Donald Trump. Um, and and I do think that I mean, look, Donald did that that interview with Tucker last night on Twitter Nobody, nobody cared about it. Nobody saw it really, you know? Right. Um, but I, I do think that it did exactly what Donald Trump wanted it to do. And that was scare Fox News a little bit. And, and I think we, we saw that in the way that Fox News capitulated to Trump throughout the entire night. I mean, even during the debate, they were apologizing for having to ask questions about Donald Trump, which yeah. was just very bizarre.
1: <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, well, I've, I'm also just kind of astounded by this notion that it's not even Labor Day yet We haven't even flipped the calendar, not even close to a day where people are going to vote or caucus, and yet it's a fait accompli that this guy's it. I mean, I know what polls say, but polls said Howard Dean was going to be the nominee back in, what, 2004?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's that that rabid support that Donald Trump has that that they just can't break through on. And I mean, they're not going to break through if all they do is praise him and say that they're going to pardon him and say that the DOJ has been weaponized against him. I mean, these crimes that he's being accused of, he like. He very obviously committed them. He did it on national TV in mm. front of us. He 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 uh, admits to doing these crimes nearly every single day on on his social media app, and the the Republican Party, the his his political opponents can't bring themselves to say that. And so no, I mean I don't see any way for them to gain support by saying how great Donald Trump is. Like it's it's very weird, very bizarre. to me.
1: We are with Andrew Lawrence, Deputy Director of Rapid Response of Media Matters for America. Uh, Andrew, did you feel as if there was any tipping of the scales? I almost feel like this is uh, a competition to find out who Trump might anoint to be their vice presidential, his vice presidential candidate to run with. Do you feel like Fox, uh, the, the, the mediators were kind of tipping the scales a little bit with the questions that they did ask some candidates, didn't ask other candidates or let them chime in on?
0: You know, maybe a little bit. but, hey, You know, I will look. I mean, do, no you, of,
1: do, the UFO question at Chris Christie is what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> right. what, why? Why would you ask him?
0: <laughs> Just so bizarre. Yeah, it was very bizarre. And it, you know, I think, I think generally, look, I am obviously no fan of McCollum and uh, and Brett there. Um, but I think generally they did okay. They kept the conversation going. They asked some questions I was surprised by. I was not expecting that. Climate is climate change a hoax? Uh, question to come up, you know, so sort of stuff like that kind of uh, surprised me. I wasn't expecting abortion to come up at all, and it mm-hmm. did. Um, you know, so that type of stuff surprised me. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still Fox News. They they're still they're still out there pushing the bogus right-wing media talking points about crime in blue cities uh-huh. and inflation being out of control and all of that type of stuff. And and but they put that veneer of, of credibility on it because uh, you know, it's a presidential debate and it's Brett Baer and, and Martha McCallum. So, you know, it's still it's still the same old Fox News.
1: Well, Chris Wallace is gone, so they have to trot out, you know, <laughs> something that they deem to be, and and I'm like you, you know, Martha, Martha Brett, they are what they are, but they're probably the last of any shred of credibility left on that network. So, uh, the post-debate coverage, the, the spin after the fact we've heard, we've seen headlines that Don Jr. Wasn't allowed that, uh, you know, that they were not allowed in the spin room. And what, what was the post-debate coverage like on Fox and what did, what did the panelists have to say, or who did they feel like won, won the night? Are they, are they kind of tipping their hand a little bit there?
0: And not so much. I mean, from from what I saw, it was you know the post debate coverage. It was it was Sean Hannity who is I mean he's a Donald Trump advisor mm, on there, you yeah, know, and, right. and kind of letting just these people spin what they wanted to spin. You know, it was, it was very. I thought the post debate coverage was was pretty tame and what we, what you would expect from Fox News, but um, you know it was very funny. Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, wasn't allowed in either as as a Trump surrogate, and right. she's out there saying that. Fox News is attacking Donald Trump's uh, right to free speech and all that. It's he chose not to participate. He was he invited.
1: Been, yes.
0: Right. <laughs> right. You know, and it's just, it's that bizarro world that they live in. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think the biggest thing from last night is there just wasn't any, any real news made. Um, you know, DeSantis needed to make a giant splash and I see him falling behind uh, Vivek uh, even, even further after last night. I mean, DeSantis came off weird. He was boring. There isn't a single moment from last night uh, from DeSantis that people are talking about today. And that's what he needed more than anything, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, uh, I think his Q score was probably right there with Tim Scott, who was like on on milk cartons after the end of the night last night. There was so (laughs) little of him on the show.
0: Right. Right. It was the same. And it's so weird. DeSantis, I, you know, for your for your listeners that don't know this, he has been propped up by Fox News for the last two and a half, three years. And Eric
1: Erickson second. as well. Eric Erickson is all in on Ron DeSantis.
0: And, and, you know, you saw it last night. He's just a weird little guy that 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 is just terrible at, at politics. Um, and there's just no I just cannot see him getting traction um, at all, you know.
1: Did you get a sense uh, from watching the debate last night that the moderators let anyone get away with more than others? Or was there any sort of favoritism that you could detect?
0: I I really I didn't notice that, you know, but it did seem that they let them all kind of yell at each other a a little little bit more. And, you know, I think. The, the moderator's job is to sort of keep everything going and, and sort of play referee a little bit and and sort of goad them into telling us things that we don't know. And mm. I did not learn a single thing last night about any of these people that I didn't know previously. Um, and, and again, it's just, not a single moment sticks out to me from last night that's going to matter, that, that anyone's going to remember after Donald Trump's mugshot becomes public later today.
1: Uh, yeah, and of course, we're here in Atlanta awaiting that. We just found out, mm. by the way, that he – originally, it was going to be 1 o'clock today. There are helicopters literally whirring over my end of huh. town. It's just mind-numbing. It's also, like, extremely hot. We're under a, a, an air advisory uh, and then he's going to bring more hot air in. So uh, there's right. that. And <laughs> right. now he's coming in at 7:30 p.m. For those that don't know, there's also uh, a Falcons Steelers preseason game happening at I think kickoff is at seven or 7:30 p.m. Also in downtown Atlanta. Atlanta traffic is already a nightmare as it is any time of the day from say four o'clock to 7:38 p.m. So uh, we full stay out watch it all on television i'm sure the falcon Steelers will be on somewhere and we know donald trump's arrival will be televised on all the me may- well it, actually that's a good question is fox covering the arrivals uh the red carpet on rice street as we call it here now <laughs> is, is fox news covering any of these folks coming in
0: well i am I'm, I'm sure they will they haven't really you know i now that you mentioned that, I don't know if they showed the mug shots at all yesterday mm. um, of Giuliani and Powell. And I, they they may have. I don't want to say 100% sure. Mm. But I think that, you know, I watch Fox News all night, every night as part of my job. Right. And I think, you know, the fact that I don't recall it probably shows you how much they're covering it, mm. I guess, uh, if at all. You know, and I think... Uh, you know, tonight, look, Trump's turning himself in. Laura Ingram's probably going to be on air when it happens, then Jesse Waters, then Sean Hannity. It's going to be the same thing we've been hearing for the last few months. It's a weaponized justice system, two tiers. He never did anything wrong. He's being persecuted for his First Amendment rights and, and all that BS that they've been going with. It's just the same thing over and over again and it's so funny because you know the guy's been indicted so many times now and arraigned a few times that like it's just become muscle memory for them to just sort of spew out these ridiculous talking points
1: which is just crazy because they are the network of the law and order party and they talk about crime and people not doing time that need to it's just it's unfathomable how they don't connect the dissonance
0: Yeah, and I mean, you're looking at... The GOP frontrunner is facing life in prison right now. I mean, as preposterous as that sounds, as much as, you know, none of us believe it's going to happen because he's gotten out of this stuff over and over again for his (laughs) entire life, he, he is actually facing life in prison right now, and it's just it's so bizarre to to see them like you said the law and order party the 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 people who who say you need to play by the rules and just comply with law enforcement and all that type of stuff um and just kind of brushing it off, you know, it's just, it's not a major story. And it just, it it's such a bizarre, bizarro world, just upside down land over there in uh, conservative media.
1: So let me pull it back to the debate one more time. We're with Andrew Lawrence, deputy director of rapid response for media matters for America at mediamatters.org. I felt like after watching the debate last night, I was watching Vivek Ramaswamy, who I think mm. is sort of like the stand in for Donald Trump right now. And he reminds me so much of Donald in that he has no business being there he's highly unqualified to be there uh, and yet he's a social media darling he's a bit mm-hmm. of a celebrity in that realm mm-hmm. and and it felt like the rest of the dais was kind of honing in on vivek to sort of dismantle him almost as if to gang up to eliminate him if they could uh, by by pointing out his disqualifications which did not work in in the 2016 cycle but it, it right. didn't it didn't feel to me like brett or martha even once tried to break it up. No, well,
0: I think that, you know, from their standpoint, Vivek is, he's a Fox News creation. I mean, he yes. I, I, I believe that he has the most interviews on Fox News uh, during this campaign cycle of any other candidate. And I mean, look, the guy is, he's charismatic, he's a little bit funny, he's kind of weird, but like, you know, you sit there and you watch him and and you can actually watch him, you know, versus he's, uh, he's Hutchinson yeah. or, or Burger, you know, you're, they're putting you to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, I think uh, what I actually think about last night, I don't think there was necessarily a coordinated effort to go after him. I I think they all really dislike him. I don't think they respect him at all for all the reasons that you said. You know, he's not a politician. He hasn't gone through it. He doesn't really have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. But what he does have, what he knows is that you just have to say the right words just say the right words and these people the the Republican base the Fox News viewers uh, conservative media you will become a darling right. and you're gonna make money you know well, and
1: no different uh, no different than the rich men in Richmond song say the right yeah. things and you're gonna make money
0: hundred percent and I think he knows that and I think I think the other candidates know that and I think it really really annoys them because he's pretty pretty good at it
1: they didn't learn from 2016 that that route doesn't work. It doesn't suppress a a, a populist movement type candidate. And and, and Vivek probably, again, while he didn't on the outside to any of us make a lick of sense or have anything substantive policy wise, as a lot of the other folks on the day has pointed out, I think he came away with a lot more buzz today than he walked in with last night.
0: Absolutely. I, I definitely
1: agree with that. Interesting stuff. All right. Andrew Lawrence, Deputy Director, Rapid Response Media Matters for America. Thanks for the time covering that story for us, buddy
0: yeah of course thank you ron it's always uh, always fun to talk to you
1: one more segment after a quick break on the america one radio app america or wherever you podcast welcome back to the ron show final segment for the day as we uh, start to batten down the hatches here for hurricane arrestimus <laughs> the embattled former president should be flying in uh, again around i'm thinking seven o'clock or so for his seven thirty arraignment it's an arraignment night in Georgia. I have all of these little quips that have just been building up over the last few weeks. So uh, let me get those out. Actually, no, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the debate last night, the, the the substance of the debate. And I, I have to say, while Brian Kemp went to Milwaukee not to be there for the debate necessarily, but to hang out with GOP operatives, and he did like a little confab with them and brought deer sticks. I don't know what those are. Is that like, like deer jerky? Uh, anyway he was there for a conference of some GOP elites to talk about how to woo the young voter. (laughs) And last night was a couple of hours of how not to woo the young voter with statements from the the one candidate who I think you might be able to get some millennial sway with, conservative millennial sway, but still the, the one candidate on the dais who may excite them would be uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, but then he championed the anti-climate change discussion. Literally, let us be honest, as Republicans, I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this: the climate change oh, wow, agenda wow, 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 is a hoax. Is oh, the climate change is agenda is a hoax, and we have to declare independence. For it. Uh, I mean. <laughs> The GOP is not going to put a dent in their problem with youth voters, even by going with the guy that I think might excite a little bit of the youth voting base. Except for the fact that he's also, not just a climate change denier, drill baby drill again, he is drill baby drill in a suit. He also wanted to float the idea of eliminating voters under the age of 25. You can't do that. It's in the Constitution. Not much talk yesterday about a, another issue that is of concern to younger voters. I mean, climate is the big one, right? But also gun control? Yeah, it's not something that's going to work with younger voters. I do know this. Younger voters don't give a about Hunter Biden. Uh, they don't give a about Fonnie Willis although the House is feverishly working on investigatory oversight into her dealings and Hunter's dealings, there's no way that what you saw on the dais last night is going to work with youth voters. And Again, by the way, whereas you might actually see some of that cool millennial sway out of Vivek, everybody else on the dais was pouncing on him the inexperience and don't get me wrong he has no business being on that day as he is highly unqualified he has no substantive policy meat to even dig a fork into to to digest but then neither did donald trump in 2016 and it didn't again i as, as i was uh, saying to uh, andrew lawrence last segment the entire dais was trying to attack Vivek Ramaswani for being inexperienced and having no business being on the dais. And that did them, they learned nothing from 2016. Ron DeSantis ain't cool. I mean, the the social media stuff that you see for him today was the awkward smiley smirk thing. That's making the round. There's There's very little hope And I'm, listen, I used to be, sometimes still can be the most pessimistic when it comes to the future, the bench of the Democratic Party. But we can have the oldest, feeblest codgers on the left we want. We also have the policy positions that the under 40 voter doesn't just agree with, vehemently, overwhelmingly agrees with the Democratic Party on. But that's where I pivot back To local matters like the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility and all the activism that is on display, 104,000 signatures collected in a city with 530,000 residents living in it. That's about 20% of the population of the city that has signed a petition that says, yeah, we'd like to vote on this. Not necessarily that we'd vote against it or for, we'd like to vote on this. We want to have a say. And those activists, those liberal, progressive activists, there may be some conservatives and moderates amongst them, but for the most part, they are liberal, progressive activists. Younger folks engaged in a process, insisting on having their democratic right exercised and we have local democrats who are trying to smother that a year before the democratic party convention in chicago this is dangerous territory we're treading on folks dangerous i i we had uh you know Donnell Suggs on yesterday from the atlanta voice he thinks just that oh, what well, no we'll, we'll be fine we'll we'll turn the page when this is over with and we'll get back on the uh uh-uh. uh We saw that did not happen. I hate to keep going back to 2016, but we saw that did not happen. There was a youth movement, a younger voter engagement boost from the Bernie Sanders campaign. And the party said, sit down, kid. We've got this. And while we've been arguing since 2016... Whether or not the Bernie voter ruined the election for Hillary Clinton, statistically, factually speaking, that dissonance from the far left was fractional compared to the Puma movement of 2008. Barack Obama was just a better candidate and able to overcome it. Party unity, my ass, was what Puma stood for back then. You can't ignore the fact that that, meh, out of here, kid. Dissonance didn't have some kind of impact on the outcome in 2016. You can't deny that. And so while I know Cop City is just a local issue, it only takes a big local issue and some dissonance on a local issue to keep, I don't know, how many voters were we short, Donald? 11,000? It only takes a, a small percentage, a micro percentage of voters disaffected in metro Atlanta and throughout the rest of the state on one issue to change a state's outcome. And Georgia is a swing state and likely will be again in 2024. We're learning here. More Ron Show tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, or wherever you podcast. Get more at ronshowatl.com. See you tomorrow.